Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm your co-host, Jeannie Rice, along with Dr. Tim Hayes, and we welcome you to the show. Today is Tuesday, October 27, 2015, and our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. We would love to hear your comments and your questions, because that makes this your show. We do already have a caller, but first, let's welcome Michael. Awesome. Thank you, sweetie. And welcome, everybody. We're honored that you're here to join us again today. And to be the ears that listen and the mouths that carry the words of forgiveness to every mind, heart, and being on the planet. It's an awesome process. And seeing as how we've got a caller, I'll just briefly focus on what I had um, been guided to uh, to do as a an opening today. And that is, it's been a while since we've talked about the impact and understanding denial. And it's such a key and important concept to grasp if you're going to understand how your mind works and why cycles of hostility, fear, grief, and pain happen over and over and over again. And basically our, our definition, there, there, of course, there's more than one definition or one, more than one shade of denial. I can pretend something's uh, you know, not true, it never happened when something did occur. That's one form of denial. You know, the alcoholic can deny, I don't have a problem with alcohol, and that's, that's a form of denial. But uh, the, the denial that we're talking about here is a, a psychological, a spiritually psychological principle that tells us the, a very important piece about how the mind works, and that is... When I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of something inside of me, I'm in denial. And the reason that's so important is because when you understand how the mind works, you know, we've, we've repeated often that, that the CIA is even reinforcing what we've been teaching for decades in one of their recent uh, writings on their website where researchers who are looking into perception literally, quote, verbatim say, we do not record reality, we construct reality. Our mind constructs its reality at every moment. And so the words we use instruct our mind 
as to how to structure its reality. So if I've been through a particular painful reality, let's say I had someone, and the thing that brought this to mind, I had someone write me yesterday about confusion. And so if I'm in confusion and I say, I'm really confused about that, my mind has to generate a picture world that shows me that that is the cause of my confusion. Now, you'll notice if confusion or hate or fear or sadness or anger or rage or guilt or whatever it is, is your issue, you've been through it 87 different times with 42 different people. Long before the person you're currently blaming it on, you knew exactly that feeling, that thought. And yet notice how your mind can stand there and say, and you enrage me so much. Look at all the fear I'm in. It's all your fault. Excuse me? You you just told me. We just met yesterday, and you told me about how your whole life has been filled with fear. And now, because I triggered it, you want me to be responsible for your fear? Come on, grow up a little bit. Step into the adult world. The children's world is a world of denial. And, And you look at how many adults say, yeah, that kid just makes me so mad. That's a lie. That's denial. The mad that I say my kid causes in me, I knew long before my kid was conceived. And when I end up in that language or thinking, and you don't have to put it in words, all you have to do is think the thought, they made me mad. And now your mind has to structure reality that will give you a set of pictures that will show you that they're the cause of your mad. And the reason that is so utterly destructive to human life is that the part of you that makes you mad, sad, glad, afraid, terrorized, whatever it is, you have to hide from yourself when you live in denial. When you think or speak as though that's the cause of it, in order to hallucinate that being the cause, you have to hide the cause from yourself, which means the very thing that you want to get rid of, you've just hidden inside of you, And you can't access it as long as you live in denial until you can say to yourself, yeah, I've been through this rage, this guilt, this grief, 87 different times with 42 different people. And I'm the only one that was there every time. Oh, this is about me. That doesn't confuse me. I have confusion and that triggers my confusion into activity. Now my mind can start to show me the truth. Oh, I can structure reality that shows me how to own my confusion. And when I can own it, I can change it. But take a look at the whole world, the whole cultural language. You know, when Jeannie and I do a demonstration, we'll get up in front of the room and we'll talk about our batching bags of garbage and, you know, and we'll do a demonstration and Jeannie will say, you know, we'll have her say, something, give me the look, and then I use denial language, you hurt me, when I think that she causes my hurt, I have to hide the root of my hurt in me, and I have to hallucinate a world where she's the cause of my hurt. And then we go on with the demonstration, this is in the Healing Relationships video, if you want to take a look at it, and then we'll demonstrate how then she, with a matching bag of garbage, uses projection language and says, yeah, when you go into that mad stuff or that hurt stuff, it really makes me mad. When she thinks that my hurt makes her mad, then she's in denial. And so each of us then live in an hallucination. And then we demonstrate responsibility communication. Gee, Jeannie, when you gave me that look, it brought up hurt in me. 
Gee, Michael, when that hurt came up in you, it brought up anger in me. Now, each of us can own our anger and enlist the support of the other instead of blame the other for our hurt. The whole world changes when you do that. And then I'll, with great confidence, turn and ask, you know, we might have an audience of 100 people sitting there. I'll ask, now, how many here were brought up in a home with a father who, when he was in his hurt stuff, would say, you know, dear, when you said thus and so, that really brought up hurt for me. And everybody laughs because nobody was brought up with that father. Actually, we've had two people. Of the thousands of people I've asked that question, over the years I've had two people whose father studied with me who languaged that way. Two people in all the thousands I've asked that question of. And then I'll turn and say, and how many were brought up with the mom who, when her anger was up, would say, you know, dear husband, when you go into that hurt stuff, it really brings up anger for me. And everybody laughs because nobody was brought up with that mother. I've never had anybody say yes. And actually the same two fathers, well, not, not the two of them, one of the two fathers, the mother studied with me as well, but she didn't use the tool. Denial is such a destructive force living in the belief that someone else is a cause of what my physiology is producing means I lock myself out of my own physiology and disempower myself in being able to heal that. When I step into responsibility, the game changes. And we're here to change the game for everybody. And Jeannie, uh, let's say a quick hello to Dr. Tim. And I know he's going to say, let's go to our caller, but let's just say a quick hello and see what he's got to say and then check okay. in with our caller. Young man, how do you be? Are you with us, Tim? I am. There you go. That old mute and, challenge is a bear sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> well, and I, I switched lines on Jeannie, so she had to she had to put me back on. But I'm doing quite well. Uh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Enjoying right. the intro. And you're right. I am anxious to hear what the callers have to say. And I'll chime in if necessary as we go. Awesome. Let's do it then. Jeannie, give it's us an introduction Eric. to our caller. Area code 623, you're on the air. Good morning and good afternoon. This is Danita Lenar. Uh, good morning, hey there, Michael, young lady. Jeannie, and Dr. Tim. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome. Glad you called back early today so we can get into this juicy conversation. I think we got a, a really good start yesterday, but uh, I look forward to uh, to taking it to the next level. Great. And before you begin, where is the uh, playback for this? For the your show? radio show? Yes. Oh, if you go to www.whyagain.org, mm -hmm. you'll see a link to the radio show. If you click that, it opens a link to the archives. We've got 1,000 hours plus in there. I don't know. There's probably 1,250 hours now. Okay. But that's where you go to get it. Thank you. And I and I understand it's also on iTunes, but I haven't figured out how to do that. That's that's one of the things that we're working on learning is getting all this social media and electronic stuff together so that it's more easily accessible. That's one of the reasons why this winter we're kind of settling in to write and work on those projects so that hopefully we can make everything more accessible and easier to get to. Wonderful. Yeah. 
Okay, so yesterday uh, we were talking about that phrase that you you said. Actually, you got into way more than that um, about you know looking for what looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces. Um, that yes. God is love, uh, or you know, creator of all that is is, is love. Like um, that's who we are. So you can't. I don't want to. That's what I heard last week on Friday. Right. That you can't give anybody love, and they can't give you love. So there you go. Have at it. Yeah, you can't do love. And actually, I, I just did a post, and I would love it if people would uh, would take these posts. There's a young lady um, who uh, named Ellen France who did this awesome painting of Yeshua and gave us permission to use it. So I'm starting to do posts with um, with uh, that picture, and I'd love it if people would pass it on. And if, if you're not connected with me on Facebook, my, uh, my genie and my site is jm underscore r-y-c-e. And so if you look at yesterday's post, you'll see this awesome picture. It's a, a, a black and white sketch but of Yeshua. It's just awesome. And the question is asked, how do I love my neighbor? So I'm going to just quickly read that over, and then we can carry the conversations from there. So here's Yeshua explaining. The Greeks translated my words as, love your neighbor as yourself. I said no such thing. The directive is much more complex. It has not to do with neighbor, nor in any way loving self. The words I spoke in my native Aramaic were about maintaining the integrity of the true self, love, in an insane, loveless world. If you've ever held a newborn, you've had a taste of goodness. It is generosity. The world has done its best to take that away from you by teaching you fear and hostility, and that in order to survive, you need to act out fear and hostility. Love is a noun. It is what you are, not something you can do. It is your essence, and you cannot get it from another if you try, you'll be looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces. What I said was, have rachma for neighbor in order to maintain self. Rachma is a filter in the gateway in the frontal lobes of the brain. It filters out intentions based in fear and hostility and allows only intentions keyed to love to be used by the mind as raw material. It is also a gateway for the entry of human life, love, into the human form. Without the presence of love, there is no human life. Rock inoculates one against the rage, guilt, fear, and blame that has engulfed the world for so long. It is the key to experiencing continuously the presence of love that we are. You will be love in the presence of all that happens in your world when you master Rachma. So, that's the the passage that I put on uh, on my Facebook page yesterday. And so when when we hear this Greek translation, you must love God, neighbor, and self, or as yourself, the word that was translated by the Greeks as love is the word rachma. And in the same way that, you know, if I've got a, a, a great big picture window and a southern exposure and it's a really hot day, man, the sun just comes pouring in, that room gets so hot. But if I put a filter over it, an infrared filter, all of a sudden 
I can still see out the window. People can still see in, but the heat waves don't come in. They're blocked. They're inhibited. And so RACMA works like that filter that I would put over the window to block the heat waves. So here, here's the, the, the depth of the psychological, psychological understanding of the ancient Aramaic. Here this man is saying is, there is a filter in the frontal lobes of your brain, which when active, will filter out everything based in hostility or fear that's stored in those frontal lobes. The only thing that you will have access to when that's active in you is love. And it's the gateway for you to get into your body. I mean, what a huge piece of understanding. And so recognizing that love is a noun, it's a state of being. And of course, I can't get my being from you any more than you can get your being from me. I can certainly support you standing in your being. I can be that state of love that empowers you to do the same. And you, if I fall down, can be that state of love that empowers the love in me because they're resonant frequencies. There's a really sweet video that uh, Jeannie has a link on our website. If you just just put in the word lion, I'm sure it's the only link on our website. There's a, a true story about two guys from uh, England who went to Harrods Department Store and found a cub lion, bought it, took it home and raised it until it got so big they couldn't handle it. They sent it off to a preserve in Africa. And about a year later, they contact the people who run the preserve and say, we want to come visit our lion. And they're like, sir, this is not your lion. This is a wild beast. We've got it tagged. It has its own pride. If you went out and met it, it would tear you to shreds. And they say, we're coming to see our lion. <laughs> and so this thing is tagged, so they know approximately where it is. And, and you see the, uh, the preserve people send a guy with a high-powered rifle because they know they're going to have to kill this thing. And they go out and they know approximately where it is. So they're calling and the, the lion's name is Christian. Christian, Christian. Finally, this lion comes sauntering down the hill and then breaks into a full charge toward them, jumps up on them, just like, uh, you know, a, a, a big cat would wrap its arms around you, licks on them, kisses on them, just hugs them. And just it's, it's obviously so delighted. It goes from one to the other and back and forth just all over them obviously in love and that's powerful but for me what's really powerful is that up the hill i'm sure that christian the lion didn't say to its mate dear these are my friends don't eat them but his female mate comes down the hill with him she's never been exposed to humans and she walks over to these two guys and rubs against them just like a big kitten and lets them pet her, which, you know, is, is like mind-boggling, impossible. Why does it happen? My understanding, my input is that this lion who is in a space connected to love as these two men are create an energy field. You know, we created a, uh, a program for a school in uh, – Delray Beach, Florida, Unity Church School in Delray Beach, Florida. Oh, when my kids were really small. And the first lesson that we went in and taught was, when I choose love, it wakes up the love in everyone. When I choose to stand in a state of being, not trying to love you, like try to do something to you, which is, you know, the world's definition of love is approval. Well, if you approve of me, now I know you love me. Thank you for approving me. And if you withdraw my approval, now I know you don't love me anymore. And that's all just a fraud. But when I stand in a state of being as, as a human being, as this 
presence of love that I am, then I set up a field that begins to join and energize that field in everyone else who has that same potential, which means everyone. And I believe that this is the principle that Yeshua was talking about when he said a little leavening leavens the whole loaf. He wasn't talking about bread. He was talking about critical mass as a physicist. One who stands in a state of hatred and fear sets up a critical mass of hatred and fear and will tend to draw all kinds of hatred and fear to them. It's just the way the energy system works. When I choose to shift to something else and when I, when I choose to forgive in me the energies, the frequencies of hatred, fear, sadness, and misunderstandings about love, then I create a space inside myself to bring forward in a whole new way, in a whole new conscious awareness, this active presence of love, and that tends to open a space for everybody else that I touch. Does that get to the heart of where you were going yesterday? And Yes, yes, very, very good, very, very good. I thank you. I, I'm I'm delighted to be on your team, and I'm certainly delighted to have you on ours. Well, you know what you say, uh, what you just were an example of. You radiated that field. I was uh, just drawn into it, and so here I am. Well, it's awesome, and it's certainly delightful over the years to touch in every once in a while and get to play. I don't know when was the first time you were Heartland was what probably 15 years ago now. Uh, if I recall. It was 1999. 1999. So that's 16 years ago. And then every once in a while, I mean, when you were in Chicago, I'd get to be at the airport and you'd come and visit. And it's it's just been cool to touch in and uh, and keep the energy moving. And and it's a delight to have you call into the show. I'm happy to be here. Are you still doing your radio show? Are you still doing your radio show? No. No, I haven't done that. And interesting you should ask because just the other day uh, I got a Facebook message from uh, someone in Denmark who said they had they were looking for something. I did, she didn't really say what, and came across my shows. And so she's listening to them. So people are still awesome. yeah still listening to the No Out There show. So yeah yeah. And and I love the uh, the whole concept of it. For those that don't know, Lenar had a, a radio show on Blog Talk that was called No Out There. And, you know, basically just right in harmony with what we're talking about is that uh, we're all connected. It's all part of the same puzzle. And, you know, I love uh, Einstein's uh, words when he says, if you think you're separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. And the world has brainwashed us into such insane optical delusions that – are just bizarre and you know the the technology of forgiveness to remove those illusions and and the fact that we are inheritors of the illusions of the generations makes it quite a challenge to work through but the fact that that simple straightforward technology was made available to me is just so awesome and uh, why we're committed to making it available to every mind heart and being on the planet so thanks for joining us you're welcome Cool. If somebody wants to access your shows, Lenar, how do they do that? Uh, they are at uh, blogtalkradio.com um, slash no out there. No out there. Cool. 
Right. Um, awesome. And really, you talked a little bit about it when you began the show about the projection um, piece of it, which that is what it's about. Nobody out there is doing anything to us. It's an interpretation uh, and that the source cause and remedy for whatever's going on in my life is right here within me. And uh, I know if you, I don't know if you remember that some time ago, like I was confused about, uh, well, if they're not to blame, then it must be me. And you said, no, 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 you're not to blame either. It's the erroneous thought held in the mind. And, yep. you know, releasing that thought gives a whole new outlook and dimension. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you know, it's there's such a I, – I, I love Vladimir Lenin's quote where he says, if you want to destroy a culture, all you have to do is change the meaning of its words. And the reason why you can destroy a culture by changing the meaning of its words is because cultures are transferred between humans by words. So all you have to do is change the meaning of words, and all of a sudden you can't transfer the culture. One culture exists, but it can't be passed to the next generation because the words have changed so much. And so you take the word responsibility, which simply means here's a tool with which I can access a part of my mind that I've been hiding from myself. That's what responsibility does. And you turn it into, well, if you're, if I'm responsible, then I must be to blame. I must be the guilty party. You mean I'm bad, I'm wrong. And that's what a lot of people's listening is for the word responsibility. When all it means is, here's a tool. You can see there's a part of you involved in everything, and here's how you capture it, and you get to change it. You know, it just changes the game so much when you get to accurate definitions of words, and and you can't think rationally, logically, or truly about something you don't have accurate definitions for words of. So it's just, you know, I I had a fellow that uh, responded to that post that I just read uh, that I did yesterday, whose love is an emotion. It's like, sir. That's off base. It's not accurate. And if you can't love truth enough to get to the right, the correct definitions of words, then communication becomes an impossibility. And so, and some people believe things just because they want to believe them. They have no interest in truth whatsoever. I actually have had a person who said, well, you know, I don't have any basis for believing this. I just want to believe it. It's like, okay. It goes wow. totally contrary to principle, totally contrary to principle, but Hey, if you want to believe it, you want to believe it. But it's uh it's certainly a lot healthier to love truth than your own opinion. <laughs> well, but Michael, in that situation, that person was simply being very, very honest about what most yes. of us do. Yeah, So that's the true. person who comes up and says, I don't really have any basis for believing this, I just want to believe it, is describing what the vast majority of the people on the planet do anyway, even though it sounds ridiculous. Yes. Yep, Hi, I agree. Hey, Dr. Tim. Yeah, good to hear you, too. Um, I don't know if this, well, it's on topic for me anyway, because for me you kind of segue into one of the other uh, things that I like to hear more of a distinguishing about is that that anger is like a normal thing. Um, Maybe not, maybe not. I heard that sigh. It's like, okay, maybe it's not the conversation. Well, no, that's a perfect conversation, but my offering is that anger has has become a normal thing for people, but it's a totally unnatural thing for humans. Humans made of love, what's normal and natural for a human is the presence of love. 
anger doesn't enter the fray. But when we lose our human lives, it become it has become the norm to use the anesthetic of anger. Anger to me is no different a drug than than pot or alcohol or anything else that people use to anesthetize themselves. So it has become the norm. But when you start applying forgiveness and you reach to the root of what there is pain about, then what happens is the need for the anesthetic disappears. So we'll see people who will just go off their rocker in rage over an issue that once they're supported in letting go of their rage, which is just a, a drug and another form of denial. Every drug is just a physical form of denial. Anger creates chemistry in the cell that anesthetizes the cell against feeling. So when one can set it aside and use forgiveness to drop into the next level and embrace what they're pained about, then their anger disappears because they no longer have a need for it. And now we're back to a normal human being, a natural human being, which is one who lives with the active presence of love, and something comes along they don't like, and there's no reason for anger because there's no reason to drug themselves. They go, oh, I don't like this one. Let me breathe and stand in the space of love for this one and see what I need to process through. Where hostility steps in and it becomes an unconsciously produced chemical in the structure that anesthetizes against pain. Rid yourself of pain, anger disappears. And the reason I think anger disappears is because when we can feel the toxic effect of what we're doing, rather than experiencing it as relief from pain. I learned this from a woman many years ago in South Florida that I worked with, and she she was Mrs. Housewife, and her husband was Mr. Businessman, very successful, seven days a week. She'd have dinner ready when he got home at 8 or 9 or 10 o'clock. They'd have three or four drinks before dinner, a bottle of wine with dinner, two or three drinks after dinner. They weren't alcoholics, but that was her normal routine. She started doing this work, and she stopped using alcohol altogether. And it was about five years later that she shared with me that she went to a party, and she had just, when she stopped using alcohol, she just never thought about it and never used it. And she was at a party, and somebody offered her a drink of hard liquor, and she said, well, yeah, sure. I used to enjoy that. So, And she said, that first sip of that alcohol no more than got past my lips and it felt like razor blades in my kidneys. Mm. That was the last sip of alcohol she had. She could feel the toxic effects of it on her structure. The person who's in pain and takes that anesthetic in doesn't feel it as toxicity. They feel it as relief from pain and go, oh, this is good. And I've watched people over the years using all kinds of addictive substances, and their addictions just drop away when they handle their pain because all of a sudden they go, "Ew, I used to like this. I would, I would, I would take this in and think this was good." Well, yeah, relief from pain is experienced by most people. It's good, and it's the same with hostility. Once, once one uh, removes, forgives the pain that they're anesthetizing, then hostility becomes an abhorrent state of mind that they're like, I'm not interested. Thank you very much. So um, I, I have another question, and I, having been a, a talk show host, I don't want to take up the time if you have other people in the queue. No, we're here. Uh, oh, okay. This is a okay, great good. conversation. We're right on track. I love it. Okay, so what I what I'm wondering is then about emotions. Like you said, so when I grew up, like lo- what I learned is love is an emotion, right? 
than angers and emotion. So what crossed my mind is then if love is not an emotion, it's a state of being, and anger is, uh, for me, like as I've been reading and doing ever since you brought that up initially, or I I heard it was um, like it's a distortion of what may be seen in uh, nature as aggression, and animals are doing that mainly over territory. They're not angry. So, right. so, and so I began to look that maybe anger is not an emotion, like we, like you just said about language. We've now given it that definition. We changed, right. like what you. Okay, so then, what are emotions? What, which ones are they? Um, it, it, you know, like what? What are the real emotions then? Well, here, if love here's, isn't here's one, and anger isn't one. Well, then you, you start to look at and realize that those things are effects, and then you have to look through the back door and look at cause. You've got to look behind the curtain. Mm. And behind the curtain, what you find is that what we call emotions are nothing but shadows of thoughts. A certain quality of mind energy and built into this structure is a warning signal of the quality of mind energy. Relative, you know, when you start looking at this human energy system as an energy system, then you realize that relative to its integrated state, there are two qualities. There's integrative energy, that which builds it up, and disintegrative energy, that which tears it down. So if I put in a tear-down energy, it seems that in its creation, this system was given a warning signal when I'm tearing myself down. And the warning signal is what we've named negative emotions. And those negative emotions are just shadows of thought. So hate, fear, rage, guilt, grief, pain are nothing but shadows of thought. They don't have any substance of their own. So my offering would be there's no such thing as an emotion that stands out there all on its own like, you know, that 10-story building. It is a reflection of a certain quality of energy held in the field. You can't, you know, people say, well, just don't feel that way. You can't don't feel that way. You've got to be able to look at what's the thought that creates the emotion, and when you shift that thought, then the so-called emotion, the effect, changes. And so it's all about what am I doing with my mind? You know, if you go to the opening words in the book of John where we're told it says, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. In Aramaic what it says is, in the beginning was the mind energy and the mind energy became flesh. So here's, we're being told there that the thing that sources this whole creative process is what we do with our minds. And when our minds are off base, it seems the creator gave us a gift. Here, here's your feedback this isn't going to serve you. If you think a thought and your energy system goes out, you might want to think twice about that. But what we've been done by our to what's happened with our culture is that we've been taught to blame somebody else for it. And then we just get stuck in those cycles of negative thoughts, negative emo- effects called emotions and pretend somebody else is to blame and that we're just innocent victims of it. Well, you know, there's nothing I can do. I was just, I worked with a guy in Florida. There's a friend who was a medical doctor down there and a very good friend of his had cancer. And he's like, Michael, I can't do anything for him, but would you work with him? And I began to work with this guy and, and he had been a rager all his life. He had children and that was just in his mind that was his identity. 
And I can remember the day we were doing some worksheets and working around that, and he, he got it. He said, you know what? I got it. The reason I have cancer is because I'm engaging in this energy that's killing me. But he said, you know, it's who I am. I mean, he fell into this false identification with that. And without it, I wouldn't be who I am. And therefore, I'm going to just continue the way I'm going. No, I won't give it up. Wow. And he actually, he, about two years later, he died. Because he, he he felt like that rage was just a part of who he was. And he wasn't giving that up for anything, even though he knew he could have. And he chose death over that. Wow. So I don't believe there are any emotions as primary. I believe that what we call emotions are just shadows of our thoughts, and they're warning us. When I feel good about something, when I'm, oh, this is great. Now, I'm not talking about sensation. Sensation's a different thing. There are people who get involved in all kinds of sensations and say, well, these sensations feel good, therefore they must be good for me. Well, you know, people do some pretty destructive things over in order to get sensation. But I'm talking about the emotions now. When I'm feeling in tune and alive and connected, then my structure is telling me this is integrative. This is on track for you. When I'm in hostility, fear, grief, rage, guilt, then what I'm doing to myself with my thoughts is I'm destroying myself. And that's the opportunity to forgive and remove those things. Well, thank you. That, you know, ha- has cleared up some things and given me, uh, like, do I have a question? Not yet, but I have some, some stirrings going on in there. Cool, awesome. Cool. Well, you know, I love your questions, and I know you've done a lot of work and a lot of thinking through this, so any and every time you want to call, come and have a discussion because it serves the whole community, you know, especially if people are new to it and maybe don't, don't really, you haven't thought through to what some of the questions are. Your questions are right on track and give us the opportunity for some great discussion, and that's, you know, what it's all about. And then, of course, we have this fabulous technology where two years from now, 10 years from now, 10,000 years from now, somebody will be able to go back and listen and go, oh, that's the conversation I needed to hear. So so we appreciate having the conversation with you. It's cool. Thank you. I appreciate your Delighted. answers, too. And, Lenar? Lenar? Yes? Yes? J- just to add a slightly different perspective to this, prior to my running into Dr. Michael Rice's work, I used to give talks about how anger is a survival-level defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm sleeping out in the woods, and that's where I live, and I wake up one morning or in the middle of the night and someone's chewing on my leg, if I don't get angry at what I think is the source of my pain, I don't survive. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying this today to say this is right. I'm just trying to give you a different way to think about this that I used to talk to people about even before I re- met Dr. Michael Rice's work. And so I said, so what I encourage you to do, whenever you're in any situation, you're driving in traffic, you're interacting with your kids, you're interacting with people at work, if you feel anger, call a timeout real quick and make sure that you're not being physically attacked, there's no poison snakes around, there's no charging lions, etc., and, and keep yourself safe. But once you realize this isn't a life-threatening situation, take another deep breath and realize, oh, I'm making a mistake. I'm focusing on something I have no control over. I've misinterpreted something that's 
at whatever level of stress as life-threatening when it, when it isn't. Take a few deep breaths and use your tools because my anger in that situation is simply an indication that I'm trying to control something I don't have any control over. This is how I used to talk about it when I was writing about the power struggle model. And so my anger is an alarm system, as Michael Rice says, to clue me into the fact that I'm focused on something I have absolutely no control over. And if I use it as the wake-up call to, number one, let me know if I need to go protect somebody in a life-threatening situation, and number two, to change the focus of my thoughts, to focus on something I actually do have control over, then this is a useful part of my energy system. It's the alarm. And, you know, if I have an alarm go off, in my house in the middle of the night, there is no way I would ever pick up the phone and call 911 and send the fire department and the police to a house three blocks down across the street, even though they might have a fire over there too. But if the alarm went off in my house, I send them to my house. So if I have anger, fear, guilt, shame, blame, hostility, condemnation, or confusion within me, that's my alarm telling me, Tim, there's a problem in you, in your thinking, in your focus. So just my two cents. Awesome. Well, awesome. Well, Tim, you trigger a, uh, uh, a story about a fellow, and he might happen to be on the show, and if he is, maybe he'd call in and share it personally, but Patrick Quinn is someone who came to Heartland about 18 years ago uh, out of Vietnam, PSTD, um, and was actually getting ready to go into a long-term um, – What's the word I should use? Not incarceration, but he's going to be away for a long time with this going on. And fortunately, the day he went to the VA, they didn't have a bed, and he headed out to the woods and stopped to uh, see his sister. And I'm sharing sharing the story as closely as I can of the way he shares it. Uh, He was on several psychotrophics, was uh, drinking a little bit of alcohol at the time, or maybe more than a little bit. But his sister said, well, you know, I just finished doing some editing on a book. Why is this happening to me again with this guy who's got a center just a few miles from here? Why don't you go down and see him? And the next day, Patrick moved in, and he's been here for you know, 18 years now, or at least nearby the last few. And about two weeks or three weeks afterward, as my memory serves me, he took all of the psychotropics that he was given for his depression and his rage and his pain and flushed them down what he called the porcelain god and uh, and and went cold turkey without it, which is not something I necessarily suggest to people, but but he's still drug free now 18 years later but he shared one day and and you know he was a military train killer and you know at one point in the intensive he said you know the only thing i really know how to do well is kill people uh he now is in 18 years of doing five worksheets a day and uh creates a pretty sweet space around him but one day he came in and you know, Patrick, when he first came here, carried a pretty scary presence for most people. It definitely brought fear up for people. And uh, and Patrick came in out of the woods and was just beaming light. And what he shared is he went out in the woods 
and he had some anger going on, and he realized that that anger made him part of the food chain. And when he put into practice what he was learning about opening Rachma, being a space of love, and what had him beaming when he came back in was, I realized for the first part, time in my life that if I stood in a connected space of love, I wasn't part of the food chain. And it was just like, you know, this whole space of light and enlightenment that opened for everybody in getting that piece of the puzzle teaches us the opposite. You got to have that hostile, your fear to survive and protect yourself. And it's all a lie. And so just as, as Tim says, you know, it's, it's just an indicator of something going on inside of me that I can correct and get back on track with the truth of who I am. And if we could just take that into the communities of violence, you know, imagine taking the guy who wields the sword for ISIS at somebody's neck and having him step into a full-blown direct experience of his being as the active presence of love. How different is the game going to be? Imagine if we could hand that experience just straight up to everybody on the planet. How different the game would be. And that's the, the pill for doing that, for having that experience. It's called first century Aramaic forgiveness. That's why I'm so dedicated. And Dr. Tim and Jeannie and you know the people who support us are so dedicated to, let's put this in people's hands. This is what takes people there. And, you know, it's just, it's like a game that, you know, nobody in town knows exists. Fortunately, more and more people are waking up to the game and bringing it forward, but it's uh, it's certainly um, a relatively new game on the planet in many circles. Of course, there have always been communities who've known about it and moved in that direction, but pretty powerful. Yeah, I am sitting here and when you brought up the uh, ISIS person what went through my head is um, a police officer you know what if that police officer that drugged that young girl from her chair in that classroom the other day because she wouldn't leave when the teacher wanted her to what if he had that realization I I put a post on my website today uh, about a police officer who's walking up to somebody's door. They're not suspects or anything else. They just uh, they left a car door open, and he's going up to inform them, and he knocks on the door, and the daughter, little girl, opens the door, and their bulldog runs out playfully, no barking, no growling, playfully, and he steps back from the door and puts three bullets in the dog's head. Mm. And my post on Facebook was, fire all police get rid of law enforcement, train peace officers again. A mind of peace to conflict, heal conflict. Our communities don't have to be doing the insane things they're doing. And it is exacerbated when you take somebody from that community who's got their own unresolved rage and pain and you put a gun and a badge in their hand. Stop hiring police. Let's train and empower peace officers who bring peace that. to a situation. 
It's like I love that. it's going to transform the whole game. It, it used to be in America they were called peace officers. You know, the the cop who walked down the block didn't grab some kid and tear him on the ground and cuff him and throw. He gave him a cuff in the ear and took him back to his parents and said, "Hey, straighten that kid out." He was a peace officer. He was he was there to support the community as a whole rather than you know picking out the enemy and 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 finding a way to a channel for his own aggression. We need to start to train these guys to heal their aggression. And, you know, there's been several other posts. I, I post this kind of thing pretty much every time I see it, but there are also some other posts, like there were some police officers out, I forget, I think it might have been in Arizona, where they were actually stopping people on the street and engaging a conversation and, you know, and somebody else was listening inside the, you know, the Best Buy store. And, well, what are you getting for Christmas? And they'd buy it. Mhm, mhm. I remember those stories. And but, and give it to people, you know, give them gifts. I mean, that's what we need in our world is people who can function as human beings. We don't need SWAT teams. We don't need murders. We don't need tough guys with unresolved rage and pain dealing their rage and pain out to others and calling themselves justified. That's nothing exactly. but gang warfare. That's the the worst gang mentality. The cabal of violence on the planet is insane. And yet, because people don't understand the energetic dynamic of it, they go, well, we have to have somebody with big guns to protect us. No, people with big guns kill people. Stop. Stop. It's got to change. We've got to start to understand things from an energetic perspective. And, so, and what you brought up little, just so aptly fits in this about the language. I'm going to look up that guy, Vladimir Lenin. Is it V-L-A-G-I-M-I-R? Lenin? Yeah, Lenin. Put like you Lenin, in. The author of communi- right. communist philosophy. Yeah. Uh, you know? but, but So what you said, though, peace officers. So I'm wondering, like, how long ago did that change? You know, when did that well, begin? It's interesting. If you If you look, you'll see that there are some states, like if I remember correctly, one of the pieces of research I was doing a few months ago, California still calls it the California Peace Officers Association. But then you go into their stuff and they're talking about police and law enforcement. They're not talking about peace or peace officers. They still The, the symbol is still there. The, the title is still there. But their whole conversation is about law enforcement. You, you look at their buildings and there's law enforcement across the road. Well, excuse me, who needs to be forced to do anything? That That implies that there's something wrong here, and those who hold that there's something wrong here are creators of what's wrong. It's it's like a self-defeating system. And we need to understand ourselves as creators and empower the people who know how to create what we want rather than somebody to fight against what we don't want. You know, Yeshua offered the principle 2,000 years ago in the Aramaic where he says, resist not evil. If you fight against it, you just became part of it. You just set the whole thing up. We need to bring conscious awareness to it, the active presence of love to it. Belong begins to transform. And, you know, all these shootings, these, I mean, we've got, I think this year so far, we've got something like 70,000 SWAT team forced unannounced entries in America into people's homes. And usually the first fatality in those things is the family dog. And then the person who has no idea who this no-knock force is coming through their front door has got a gun in their hand are shot next because they're getting ready to pretend them, protect themselves against some attacker. I mean, we, we've let the, 
the fox take over the chicken coop. And we just, as a population, need to get conscious of who we are and start to empower what we really want in our world, heal in us the things that are unlike that, and bring it about. And it's it's like a whole mind shift that has to happen. That's why this is called Mind Shifters Radio. <laughs> it's like you know, changing the game, changing the game. Oh, this is such an exhilarating conversation. I'm going to post a link to this show, yesterday's show, and last Friday's uh, for you know because they they are providing a, a theme. Um, I, I'm really just struck with because in in the International Black Summit, which I am part, um, which you know. Right. Um, it came from an org, a group called Landmark Education, and what they say is about language, and that you brought that up on each one of these three calls makes such a difference because, a, you know, the change in the language can let us see something different. And what I share with people, it, it even in simple everyday language, like if you tell someone, uh, let's have lunch, okay, great, I'll meet you at noon. Well, to somebody, noon means a quarter of. To somebody else, it means, well, if close to that, if I'm there, 12.30, that's fine, too. So language does make a difference. And your course, you know, the communications, did you hear what I think I said? So much in language makes such a difference, makes such a difference about the perspective, the come from, the pre-paving. So if this is what I'm you know, throwing out there the red carpet that I'm laying that I'm about to walk on. What is that? What is it that I'm putting out there anyway? That's it. That's it. You got it. That's what it's all about, Elfie. Actually, in our Laws of Living course, we spend a lot of time developing the whole concept of what we call regulatory speech. And regulatory speech is a speech that regulates our physiology, cellular chemistry, emotions, literally the creative waves that we put out into the universe and the whole world of pictures, the whole construct of reality that we see in our minds. It's all based in speech. You know, you go back to Yeshua and, you know, 2,000 years ago in Aramaic, he's saying the power of life and death is in your words. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What they're showing is that in the cell biologist laboratory, when you think a thought, and this is where non-substance becomes substance, you think a thought and that thought actually becomes a, a molecule, a neuropeptide in the structure. And that neuropeptide circulates around in the structure till it finds a cell with a receptor site that matches, lands on the cell, and inserts itself in the cell, and it shows up in the cell as chemistry. So non-physical becoming so-called chemistry. And it regulates the whole system. So we spend, in our 16-day laws of living, we spend days talking about regulatory speech and really understanding all the nuances of regulatory speech and then how that ties into our personal code, which is the set of rules based in speech that our mind forces us to follow whether we want to or not. You know, the person who says, yes, oh, this is it. Dear, I just got it. I am love, you are love, and so forevermore I am going to treat you lovingly, and I'm going to be love in your presence. And, and of course, the person who makes that proclamation does exactly that until the next time somebody gives them the look. <laughs> and the whole regulatory speech system kicks in. 
the personal code kicks in, and now it's like, don't talk to me, don't look at me, I never want to see you again. It's like, wait a minute, 30 seconds ago you said something about love, and now because there's been a stimulus that's triggered a different frequency in you, the whole game is about changing frequencies. And, you know, when we talk about peace officers, you know, I don't just put it out there, say, fire police and hire peace officers. There are very few, some awesome ones, but very few who have a capability of being a peace officer. It's going to take some really in-depth training to get to the point where whatever's going on in the world, especially in some of the craziness that goes with our communities, we have somebody who actually can enter with a calming mind of peace and love. That's going to take training. You know, there were yeah. there were two guys that uh, that started a thing called the Civility Project, and they spent two years lobbying 535 members of Congress and the 50 members or, or 50 governors of the state. So 585 people for two years they lobbied them to simply ask them to sign a civility pledge that in all of their public intercourse they would be civil. They got two people out of the 585 so-called leaders in our culture who were willing to function as human beings, who were willing to commit themselves to functioning civilly. How different would our culture be if in order to enter politics, you had to function as a human being, as love, rather than all this backbiting and spite and hate and conflict that goes on? What if the whole conversation started out by people who functioned as love. How different could our game be? <laughs> it, it wouldn't even resemble what's happening today. And it takes time to get that into the culture. That's why that principle of critical mass, a little leavening leavens the whole loaf, that when we can really get that into a mind. And, you know, the average mind doesn't take enough time out of its life to really go to depth to be able to do that sort of thing. And, you know, that's what Heartland is about. That's what our intentions are about, is giving people the space to go to depth, to really look at the deeper parts of their mind that they rarely give themselves the time to look at or rarely stop, stop drugging themselves long enough to look at. And to be able to have the tools to process through those things is huge. So one of the... Um there was a, a thing on Facebook, a uh, quote from Confucius, supposedly Confucius, which says, if your plan is for one year, plant rice. If your plan is for 10 years, plant trees. If your plan is for 100 years, educate children. And Yay. so, yeah, as I'm listening to you, and I know there is a, a, a whole group, and there was that young lady who wrote um uh, who am I? I am somebody for the children, which I used to use when I right. was teaching school. So, right, healing um, children, loving children. That's Julie's book. Yeah. So I'm beginning to think more and more. Um, okay. So I'm. This is my judgmental statement. I was like, maybe it's time for me to like, you know, skip the old farts and go <laughs> do some go to the volunteer yeah. work. Yeah. And and I'm one right. of the old farts, and I just say I'm doing my work. I'm doing the best I can, and you know, let me start here. Let me start with what I know has worked for me. What has shifted, you know, my come from, my source, my space of being. So um, that's kind of the and that came up because you talked about the fifty the members in Congress. It's like I can get yeah. it. I no. you know I yeah. yeah. 
Well, to me, it's uh, it's a matter of we've got to do all of the above, and we're down to the last few seconds. So I'm going to have to call time, but if there's more conversation to be had, we could continue it tomorrow. In the meantime, we just appreciate everybody being here. If you're ready for an intensive, February, we've got two of them happening in Florida if you want to get away from winter. And in the meantime, create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye.